Good morning. Ah, there we go. I went the wrong way with the switch. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. My name is Jason Graves, and I'm one of the ministers here. I'm a spiritual formation minister. Our preaching minister, Corey, is on vacation with his family for the holidays. He'll be back next week, so we invite you to, to come back then as we start a new sermon series for the new year, talking about some spiritual practices that we think would bless you in the, in the coming year, and we'd love to have you come be part of that. I've learned a very valuable lesson the last couple weeks uh, from Corey. Recently, he got up here and just bashed Hallmark Christmas movies, um, and then suddenly became the owner of all kinds of Hallmark gear and paraphernalia. Uh, so the first 15 minutes this morning, even though I grew up in Houston, I'm going to talk about how much I dislike Houston sports teams. <laughs> if you would like my sizes and shirts or hats or anything, I could talk to you afterwards. We are continuing our, uh, our Christmas series, and, and I know, I know, we celebrated Christmas a couple days ago. That does not mean it's over. The Christmas season keeps going. The fact is, the story of Christ coming into this, into this world was never meant to be an end. It was meant to be a beginning. And so we're going to continue telling that story today and finish out this series uh, and telling, telling another one of the stories that come out of that, that birth of Christ um, experience and the, the things that happened there. And we've been doing all this through the, the lens of this question, what would make this the best Christmas ever? And what we mean by that is, what would allow this Christmas, this story of Jesus coming into the world, to have the most impact that it can have on your life? What would open you up enough to experience that, right? And so we've answered that with a, a few different things that Corey has, has led us through over the, the last few weeks, following through the story of the, the birth of Jesus. And I'm just going to give you my answer from the beginning, okay? And then we'll kind of spend some time fleshing it out a little bit. Here's one of the things I think the, the story of, of Jesus's birth can do. I think it can remind us that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. Something much bigger than ourselves that God is doing in the world. And that's something that we need to be reminded of. You see, the, the, the birth of Jesus was an announcement, okay? It was an announcement that God was doing something new and something big for his people. And he was doing this by sending this baby, this Messiah, this Jesus into the world. And we've heard that announcement over the past few weeks. We heard it, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, even before Jesus is born, she's singing a song talking about the things that, that God is going to do through her son. She sings about them in the past tense as if they've already happened, right? She's so confident in this. Her faith is so strong. And then last week, we heard the, the angels singing from the heavens to the, to the shepherds in the field. And they're proclaiming this glorious thing that God is doing in the world. Glory to God in the highest. It's an announcement that God is doing something huge. 
And the question is, for every person that comes after that moment of Jesus' birth, is what are you going to do with that announcement? What are you going to do with that news that Jesus has come into the world? And we shouldn't be surprised that the Bible tells us that there are a lot of different responses that people have to this. We shouldn't be surprised by that because those different responses are probably all present in this room, if we're honest about it. For some of us, the news that Jesus has been born into the world is already really good news. The news that we're part of something or we have the chance to be part of something bigger than us is good news because maybe you have felt lonely or isolated, forgotten, beat down. Your life has trampled on you. Your heart is hurting. Jesus coming into the world has always been good news for people like that. Always. Even when Mary's singing, she's singing about what God is going to do to to lift up the lowly. It's always been good news for you, and I hope you hear it as that. I hope you know that there is something bigger out there, that, that God has created a kingdom for you, and he loves you. Now, for others of us, um, we follow maybe on another end of the spectrum here, right? Where we, the, the news of Jesus coming into the, into the world might be slightly unsettling, if we're honest. Hard for us to wrap our minds around. Because, hey, I feel pretty good about the, the part of life that I've carved out for myself. I've worked hard to build a family, to build a reputation, to build a work ethic and a philosophy of life. I've worked hard to, to, to make my life what it is. And besides a few ups and downs, I've been relatively in control of that. And recognizing that I might be part or called into something bigger than that might call for me to change some of that or give some of it up. And I don't know if I'm quite ready to do that. Now, you may fall somewhere in the middle of all that, right? We have different responses to this. But it's important for us to recognize that we have different responses. That there's not just one response that we have to Christ coming into the world. And so what we want to do today, I want us to to walk through one more story uh, in the account of Jesus' birth from the book of Matthew. And I want us to look at at some of the, the responses that he paints there. To this announcement that Jesus has come. And what the people in, in, that, in that time do with it. I, I know a lot of times we assume that everybody kind of knows the, the, all the stories of the Bible. I don't want to do that today. Uh, for those of you who, who may not be familiar, a lot of times we, we know the Christmas stories because of songs we sing or for maybe shows we watch, things like that. But how often do we sit and just go through Scripture and see what each of these stories are? Most of the stories we get about the birth of Jesus come from two books, Matthew and Luke. And we spend a lot of time in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to be in Matthew uh, today, Matthew chapter 2. And I'm just going to walk through this, this story. And as we do that, I'm going to share a, a few reflections, three reflections that, that have kind of 
uh, come for me as I've, I've lived with this text over the last uh, little while, getting ready for this sermon. In order to do that, you start with verse 1, right? And actually, we'll start with 1a, with the first half of verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Okay, so I want to introduce a character to you in this story. I'm going to assume you know who Jesus is. So I'm going to introduce the other character, Herod, King Herod. King Herod's an interesting guy. Uh, Herod is the king of Judea, otherwise known as the king of the Jews. Now, this is a title that he's been given, all right? Not a title that comes through like a lineage or anything like that. He's been given this title, and he's been given this title by the Roman Empire, Right? And when I say that, I need a music, like a bum bum bum, you know, like the, the Roman Empire. This is the group that has, has taken over so much of the area around Judea. And, and they have the chance to rule this area of Judea where Bethlehem is. And so they want somebody who can make sure that happens. They want somebody that can take care of this, that has their stuff together that has all the abilities that are needed to not only take over a land, but to rule it. And so they pick Herod. And Herod goes, they call him the king of the Jews. He goes to Judea and he spends three years fighting for it. And he shows that he's got what it takes. He defeats the, the, the folks that are already in power there. He takes it over and he starts to rule. And he rules for a long time. By the time Jesus comes around, about three decades or so that he's been in power in this place. From the outside, everything for Herod looks very, very successful. He's a successful king, which is kind of weird because Herod really doesn't fit anywhere. He's not a Roman, but he works for the Roman Empire. And he's not really Jewish, though he's called the king of the Jews. He's from a place called Idumea. He's an Edomian. Used to be Edom, and then, then it was Idumea. And one of the things about that place is his ancestors at one point were forced to convert to Judaism. So as, as Herod was growing up, he heard all the stories of the Jewish God. He even heard the prophecies of the Messiah that would come. He knew all the customs. He knew what it meant to be a good Jew. And so that may be why Rome thought it would be a good idea to use him as a, a leader of this area. And he wanted desperately to be a good leader. He wanted his Jewish subjects to love him. He wanted to win their favor. He wanted them to respect and revere him. But he also wanted to please the Roman bosses. So he's kind of in between. And so he figures out a way to, to try to win everybody over. He's going to do something different, and he's going to do it well. And what he does is he builds. And when I mean builds, this guy, like Lego master builder guy, right? He goes to town building all kinds of stuff. Colosseums, fortresses, temples for all kinds of religions. It didn't matter who you were. If you wanted a temple, he was going to help you out. He was building outside of his own area for different people because he was so good at it. 
He made a name for himself building buildings. And everything was kind of thriving and looking amazing. And his crowning achievement, he started in before he was done with his reign. He didn't finish it, but he started refurbishing the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. They had one. It had been around a while. It was a pretty spare building. Herod thought, <coughs> this is a way to get more favor. I'm going to refurbish this deal. I'm going to fix her up for this thing. I'm going to just build it out as big and as huge as it can go. And he started building this. Parts of the things that he built are still around and have been found. Parts are still used today. I mean, really and truly, you, you can look at Herod's reign. There are people that look at his reign and talk about how great he was and how revolutionary he was. Everything was going well in his kingdom. And then one day, then one day a servant comes to him and says, hey, uh, boss, look, there's, uh, there's some people, they've come from the east and they're in Jerusalem. And they're going around town and they've got all kinds of like treasure chests and stuff with them. And I got to think Herod got a little bit excited about that, right? Maybe this is for me. They're going to pay tribute to the king. And he said, and the servant says, but they keep asking where the newborn king of Jews is. And you can almost hear his, his inner monologue like, what do you mean the king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. Have you seen what I've built? I'm the one who's done all that. They want to come see somebody. Tell them to come see me and bring all those treasure chests with them. I'll, I'll be here. The, the Bible says it this way. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. One of the, the reflections for me on this on this story is, uh, as I've been thinking about it, is that the birth of Jesus, one of the things it does for us is it reveals the deepest parts of our hearts. It exposes those deep parts. That's what it does for, for Herod. He's told that there's a new king of the Jews and this successful, genius builder king this guy who looks good on the outside, all of a sudden, everything's torn away and all the fear and pride that have powered him from the inside kind of come out. And he's revealed as being fearful. All the stuff that he'd done. For years, he'd been trying to prove himself, prove himself to Rome, prove himself to the, his subjects, prove himself to himself maybe, we don't know. But we know that his response is that he's deeply disturbed. That that fear comes boiling out of him. So you've got to figure out what to do, right? How do you handle this? So the text says, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. 
And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. I wish I'd been at that meeting. I'd like to hear what, what that meeting was like. Where he looked, I can see kind of a plastered on smile for him, you know, and he, he looks across at these guys and says, hey, first off, thanks. Thanks. I've got, I've got the best uh, law, legal minds. I've got people who know the, the Israelite prophecies inside and out. And we didn't catch this, but you caught it from your faraway lands. You, you saw the star. You figured it out. Hey, thanks. We couldn't thank you enough. Thank you for, for helping us. In fact, in fact, I want to help you out. First off, I don't think you're in the right place. I don't think all this is happening in Jerusalem. I, I think you need to go to Bethlehem. And we're going to help you get there. I've got people plugging it into your GPS right now. We're going to get you to, to Bethlehem so that, that you can go and do what you want to do, okay? Because we think this is super important. Here's the deal, though. I would love to play my part in it. So when you go find this new king, this Messiah, if you could, if you could come back here and tell me where he is, I would love to, to go worship him myself. I, I want to go do what I'm supposed to do in this. I'd like to play my role. Spoiler alert, he don't mean none of it, right? This is, this is all a ploy. He's saying the right things. He's going through all the right motions. All the while, he's trying to figure out how to keep his kingdom his kingdom. Okay, I want to say that again. Because I think this is where this story starts stepping on our toes a little bit, okay? He's saying all the right things. He's going through all the right motions. But deep down, he's still trying to figure out how to keep his kingdom his kingdom. I ran across a, a quote uh, as I was getting ready for this sermon. Um, Douglas Hare, who wrote a commentary about this, this story, uh, it was included in there. And he says the words, uh, scoff not at Herod until you have acknowledged the Herod in yourself. All right. There's certain sentences you read and it just kind of like, it just kind of stops you. Um, I, I had to spend a lot of time praying over that sentence and thinking about that. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. We might not take it as far as Herod is going to take it eventually, letting his fear and his pride bubble up. But, I think we have to be honest about the fact that some of the same impulses that are there for him can be there for us. There are times that we can go through the, say the right things, go through the right motions, and still be trying to figure out how to keep our kingdom our kingdom, try to keep control. But the, the story of Jesus and Jesus coming into the world, if we really let that hit us, it exposes those deep parts of our heart. And it lets us know what's really driving us. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's a, a real upper for the new year. Um, but I think if, if we really, if we let that happen, this can actually be really good news. Because here's what happens when we, when we allow our hearts to be exposed and then let God deal with that. He'll work with it. 
He will work with your fear and transform it. He will take your pride and make it something different, bring you into humility if you allow him to do that. Now, Herod's not going to do that. But you have the opportunity to allow him to work in your heart in that way. The exposing of our hearts to God can be incredibly good news. So there is hope in this story, right? Uh, it's not all, it's all kind of doom and Herod gloom. Um, there, is, there is actually hope personified. And that's in the other characters that we haven't talked about quite yet. That's in uh, the, the Magi, the wise men from the East, depending on what you want to call them. We're not, we're not told a, a whole lot about them and who they are. We just know that they come from a long way away and that that's, that's really important, that they've come from a long way away. Um, every year, the Dallas Arboretum does a, a huge 12 Days of Christmas exhibit. Anybody go see that this year? I've seen it in the past. Go, go to see that. Uh, for years, we've done that. We didn't do it this year. They have a house there at the Dallas Arboretum called the DeGaulier House. And every year they put some kind of, of, of different display throughout this, this house. Um, one year, my favorite year, they had nativity scenes all over the place. Hundreds, if not maybe more than a thousand. I don't know how many there were. Everywhere. Little ones. Big ones. Uh, from all over the world. Ones with like Charlie Brown characters. Weird ones. And, and then some really beautiful, beautiful pieces. Carvings and things like that. I could have spent hours in there. You know, what we do with the nativity is we take all the stories of Jesus and his birth and we put them kind of into one scene. And I think that's all right. That's, that, that's, that's a good thing for us to see. We know it's not necessarily historically accurate. They weren't all there at the same time. But it's good to, good to have that picture. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was the way that the people in each nativity scene looked. Their features their skin tone, their dress, all reflected the background of the artist. This wasn't totally true, but most of the time this was true. Depending on where the artist was from, that's what the, that's what the people in the nativity looked like. We want this story to look like us, right? We know it was in the Middle East, but man, we want this to look like us because we want to know that this is our story, I'm cool with that. I, I, think there's, I think there's some value. There's some caution to be had there. But I think that's good. However, one big caution I would give that I think Matthew would give is if everybody in the nativity scene looks the same, we've missed the point. Matthew's very purposeful in saying there are people at Jesus' house after he is born, in the, in the couple years after he is born, that don't look like him, that don't dress like him, that don't talk like him, that come from a completely different place, and they come to worship him. There, there's this, this thing that, uh, there that in this story that tells us, Matthew's trying to say, the birth of Jesus reminds us how big the love of God is. It includes all these people. Here's these, here's these folks from the East that really have no business being here on some level. But, but Matthew would call back to the, the prophets in Israel who talked about uh, the Messiah coming and bringing uh, God's reign for all nations. And that's represented here in the birth story. What's interesting about that 
is if you go to the very end of Matthew, to Matthew 28, the last words of Jesus to his disciples. He's gone through his whole ministry. He's trained his disciples. He's been uh, crucified on the cross. He's been raised from the dead. And he's talking to his disciples. And he says these words, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Make disciples of all nations. So Matthew's bookending this thing. On the front end, he wants to tell you there are people from the east there. And on the end, he wants to tell you that the disciples are being sent into all the world. He wants you to remember how big the love of God is. That what started in this little place in Bethlehem is going to blow up past Bethlehem, even into Judea. And it's going to challenge the power of somebody like Herod. And then it's going to get even bigger than that and, and challenge the, the, or be as big as the Roman Empire. And then go past that and include the whole world. And in fact, if we're honest about how we fall into this story, the people from the East are Gentiles. Most of us in this room would, be, would qualify as Gentiles, right? We're in this story because these folks showed up at the beginning. It was always meant to be that because the love of God is that big. The, uh, <clears throat> the, the wise men in verse 9, it says, After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are gifts for a king. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. The last thing I think the birth of Jesus does is that it calls us to worship. The, uh, the wise men, when they, when they get there to Jesus, their sole intent is to worship. They're not there for a peace treaty. They're not there to sign papers. They're not there for anything other than just to worship this new king. They have followed this, this star. That's what they've come for. I don't think we can skip over that too quickly. I think we need to, to, uh, to listen in there. You know, when our hearts are exposed to God and he starts to work with what lies at the deepest part of our heart and he fills us with his love, we then have the opportunity to step into what he's doing in the world. And worship is the first step. And I don't mean superficial worship. I mean worship in truth and spirit. I mean, I mean worship where, where we are surrendering our own kingdoms, surrendering the things, our own control, and saying, I want to put myself under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an act of surrender. It's an act of relinquishing. It's everything that Herod could never do. Never do. He couldn't bring himself to. And in fact, once he figures out that he's been tricked, and they've gone around him because God told them to. If they hadn't figured it out themselves, God, God said, hey, spoiler alert, he didn't mean it. Go around and get out of here. When he figures that out, um, 
He shows us what fear and pride can do at their extreme. How fear and pride can cause us to do things we would never imagine doing. How they cause us to see people as less than human. And so he sends a death squad to this area and tells them, find anybody, any boy under this certain age and kill them so that he can wipe out any trace of a rebellion against him, so that he can wipe out any trace that the things that he has built might be taken away. And he sends them to do that. So Joseph and Mary uh, and the baby are warned, and they, they leave and go to Egypt. There's a whole lot more to that story. It's a whole other story. They go to, they go to Egypt. It's, it's just a few years before Herod dies. And as soon as he dies, his kingdom gets split up between all his kids. And things start falling apart almost immediately. The things that he built start getting covered up by time and sand. What's left, some of it gets destroyed in wars and fires. There is still some of it around today. You can see some of it as a tourist attraction. Some of it is used. But the kingdom of Herod is no longer the kingdom of Herod. His name no longer has the power he would like for it to have had. But the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that he established by sending his son into the world. That kingdom. Still alive and well. Not in trouble. We have the opportunity to be part of that kingdom. The wise men in bowing down and worshiping this baby show us what that looks like. I love, um, N.T. Wright says this, talking about this passage. He says, listen to the whole story. Matthew is saying, think about what it meant for Jesus to be the true king of the Jews and then come to him by whatever route you can and with the best gifts you can find. If you want to know in the coming year how to live into this something bigger that God has called us into, the first step is to worship. And so, this morning, we worship, right? Church, would you please stand? The birth of Christ exposes the deepest parts of our hearts, reminds us of the deep and abiding love of God for all people, and then invites us to surrender our own kingdoms and worship to God's kingdom. The God we worship is building something bigger than you can ever create or imagine. And we would love to walk alongside of you as you step faithfully into what he is doing. So today as we end our time together, we're going to sing a song of worship. And I pray that you allow yourself to be, uh, to be opened up here a little bit. To allow God to see into your heart, to the deepest part of your heart. In fact, that's one thing I would encourage you to do this holiday season is to sit down with the story of Jesus, especially his birth. And in silence, let that hit you. Be, be honest about how you feel when you hear about Jesus coming into the world. And then lift that to God in prayer. And we have the chance to do that as we worship right now. My prayer is that you would surrender your kingdoms, the kingdoms that you've built, 
to him. If you would like to pray with somebody, we'll have shepherds and their wives around the room, and we invite you to go see them in this time as we sing together.